Hey, good to see you. Hello. Hello. We see you. In, the Knights are back from their trip. It's nice to see you. Uh, how many of you ever been in a situation where you, you walk into this room, maybe not this room, but a room per se, and the first thing, like as you're walking in, it could have been like your holiday uh, experience, the first thing they say to you is, don't bring up fill in the blank. You got it? Have you ever been in those? What can't you bring up? Politics. Why not? What else? Yeah, that's exactly right. Do not bring up the L.A. Rams. That was from my father-in-law, who was an L.A. Rams fan. He's staying at my house. I don't know where he's going to watch the football game today. He gets cold real easy, so he might just be out on the porch until he repents. It's going to be a stressful day, but this is the smug mug. There you go. We'll just we'll put this there. I think there's a couple Packer fans in the audience, and that sucks. There you go. Um, for you, uh, it's it's. But have you ever? Been, you don't bring up the Rams. You don't bring up politics. What else? You don't bring up the the virus or the vaccine. You don't bring up things, right? Because instantly it's like, ooh, it, it divides the room. I think uh, what part of the thing I'm, I'm getting at is we have a list of things that we are maybe conditioned. To not bring up to God. Have you ever thought of it that way? Uh, one of the one of the issues that has struck me, and we've we've been in Job for the past couple weeks, and and we're we're looking at the mystery of God, especially the mystery of God as it comes through the crises in our life that we've that we've been uh, uh, that we're going to experience. If you're not in one now, just just wait a little bit. You'll find one. It's kind of like vegetables. Every once in a while, you have to eat one. Uh, but it's just, you will find crises in your life. Don't go look for them. They find you on, your, on their own. But uh, as we look at Job, one of the things that strikes me about Job is that even though there is a, uh, he is going through so much, he is a very honest person. He never, you can't tell if he's lying through the text, but uh, he, he never lies. In fact, there's a phrase that stuck out to me as I was reading through it again this week was at the very end, Job goes through a whole list of how he's feeling towards God. And sometimes you can read what Job is saying and you go, whoa, you said that to God? Wow. But God at the end of the book says, hey, Job was still speaking the truth to me. The thing I want to I look at today is uh, what we find is that, is that Job is going through all of this. Job is honest, not just with his friends, but he's also honest to God. It's a very different kind of honesty that we're looking at, uh, that, that we're used to. Uh, his friends will represent these platitudes or a, a kindness when it comes to talking with God, but not, not Job. Job straight up tells God what Job is thinking, and there's, there's no filter in life. Job, Job was honest to God in the middle of life's extremities. Not, not like your fingers, but the extremes of his life. He was very honest with God about the crises in his situation, about the crises in, his, in the situation in his life. Job prays these prayers, the prayers of desperations. Uh, if you've ever heard someone pray them, they sound more like screams than they do a prayer. And he prays them. And I'm wondering, as I think about Job, uh, I'm wondering if we have lost that ability to actually be honest to God with what we're going through. Thankfully, in our lifetimes, 
uh, these extremes in life aren't always here all the time. They come and they go. At any given moment, most of us in this place are maybe not in one of these extremities in life. Uh, but it's important that we look at how do we speak to God when we are in the middle of the extreme. First, just because you're not at the screaming moment with God doesn't mean that somebody else isn't. And if they are, we've built a culture, not just in this church, but in church-wide, that we don't want to talk about it. It's not something we share regularly when we're going through some kind of pain. Also, while we might not be going through a tough situation, like most some are right now, most of us have in the past or in the future will go through a situation like this. So the worst thing that we can do is start to bottle up our emotions when it comes to how we talk to God. The worst thing you could do in a crisis is feel absolutely alone. Yet, because we don't have this type of practice of honesty with God, many people feel alone when they're going through this kind of stuff. And so today I want to look at, or today I want to, hopefully, for you to walk out here knowing that there's a time in your life where it will be like this, where you will have these strange, maybe anger emotions towards God. I want to give you permission today to say, it's okay. It's okay to tell God when you're hurting. Job did it, and we can do it. And we go through these situations or other people around us, and I, and I hope by looking at the words of Job, we can have the freedom to express what we're going through in prayer. Here's, here's the problem that I've seen both in myself and in many Christians. I think that we're afraid uh, that God's going to get mad at us for our emotions. We're fearful when it comes to expressing our true feelings to God. We don't want to tell him that we're, we're scared. We don't want to tell him that we're hurt. We don't want to say to him uh, the things on our hearts because we're afraid that we're going to offend him. I feel that this position comes from a bunch of bad theology, honestly, and it's from all over the place. It's hard to put a minute, it's hard to put a, a finger on where it exactly comes from. However, I think all of this builds to this fear of expressing us, our true selves, to God. And think about it. Here's how it works. Christianity is always seen as some kind of joyful religion, right? I mean, take joy when you go through trials. Be courage, and they give perseverance. And all that is true, right? James is right when he says this, because joy produces, or trials produce something good. However, in the middle of them, when we sit here and say, be joyful, be joyful, be joyful, we're not doing anything different than Job's friends are. And Job's sitting there going, I don't want to be joyful. And if he put on the fake mask of, I'm joyful in the middle of my trial, would God still have said at the very end of his trials, Job was the only honest one? No. He would have been lying. Even though Christianity is joyful, that is true. Even though we can take joy in our trials because we see God on the other side of them or we find God in deeper places in the middle of them, in the center of the trial, when you're not honest with yourself about how you're feeling with God, I think we're lying. You following me? And so Job gives us permission. In fact, Christianity for most people, most of the time, is always on the upside. We have a lot to be thankful for, the resurrection, the cross, new life, new, uh, new hope. But there's a tension we need to be mindful. If all we do is pretend and celebrate, if all we do is talk positive, then you, when you are in a nightmare situation, you'll feel like you don't belong. 
I don't know if you've ever felt this way. I have. And on the flip side, if a church, all the church does is lament and all the church does is say how sad they are, and then you lose the joy because you've forgotten about the joy because of the lament. So there has to be a tension that we can sit in. And the problem with tensions is that they're very uncomfortable. We have to be able to be in that tension of, yes, we are joyful, and yes, we have an honest reality of what's going on both in our lives and both in the world. We can't forget about joy, but we can't fake joy at the expense that some people who aren't experiencing the same joy we are feel isolated. I believe this is why Paul says in Romans, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep, because they're both in your congregation at the same time. And so we have to be able to hold this. I think also what, what, uh, what, what keeps us from expressing is the church likes things that are safe. We like secure things. We like everything packaged perfectly within the allotted time. Don't I dare go past 1030 because everyone's going to be a little bit fidgety, right? It's not just here. That's everywhere. We, we have things to do, people to see, and all this stuff. And so we like things in the time. We, we don't like things too much in the air. We don't like fogginess. We don't like ambiguity. So we try to impose a structure. We try to familiarize and sanitize our joy and our sadness. We don't want to be too happy. We don't want to be too sad. So we go through this whole thing stoic and feeling nothing. And this is a problem, because when our lives uh, hit the extremities, we feel indicted. Something is wrong with us. People think that something is wrong with us. Our world doesn't fit. And what ends up happening is we stuff our feelings. And when we stuff our feelings, I, I know from my therapist, and my wife is also a therapist, that when you stuff your feelings, things don't end up going too well. So we need to be honest with each other. This morning, because there are times where we're going to feel joy, where we're going to want to clap after songs and tap your feet if you do that or raise your hands or do whatever during worship. And there's going to be times where you can't sing along with that. And that's okay. That's the tension we come, we come to. There are times when the security of Scripture allows us to be honest with how we're feeling to God. And what we have to know is that when we experience the situation outside of the bounds of our ability to process and outside of the boundaries of what we can deal with, we need to be able to, be, to find comfort in our congregation, comfort within our community. We need to know that even in those places where we feel outside the bounds of everybody else's emotions around us, we're still inside the bounds of God's love. He's not going to drop us because we feel a certain way. It might sound cliche, and, and I know I said cliche theology is bad, and I'll say it again later just to get it in, but the situation that you're in might be too big for your emotions, but it's not too, too complex for God. Nothing is too big for God, not even what you're going through right now. It's okay to be honest with God. It's okay to tell him how you're feeling. You're not going to scare him off. You're not going to anger him. He's not mad anymore. You won't find yourself on the bad side of God if you do. Instead, what you'll find is when we're honest with God, to God, we find ourselves in a closer relationship with him. We'll get to Job in a minute, but I want to tell a story first, okay? We good? All right. Uh, in many ways, our personal lives with how we're feeling uh, with our lives mirror our personal lives with God. For example, if you are in any kind of relationship, there's going to be a time where you mess up and you offend the person next to you, correct? If you're married, you go, uh-huh, because it happened to me this week, all right? 
uh, I did some things, and, and we're not going to go into the details about it, but my actions put Carrie in a really precarious situation. There was a conflict between us. We're good now. We worked it out. Uh, but there was a moment where she was feeling a certain way because of my actions. And at that time, I was oblivious to it. Most, let's just say most of the time, I'm oblivious to it. It's just a default thing, okay? Uh, I have a memory of a goldfish at some things. But she, as we were going through the evening, she says, hey, when you did this, it made me feel like this. She was honest with me. Had she not said that, would I have known about my actions? Okay, and so we talked it out. She told me this was going on, and I said, oh man, I had no idea that's how you were feeling. I had no idea that my actions did that to you or made you feel this way, and it gave me a chance to say, I'm sorry, which is a lot of what comes out of my mouth. I'm sorry, I did this. I can identify with the pain that it caused you, and I can see that it made you feel a certain way, and I apologize for that. Will you forgive me? Now, had Carrie had stuffed the frustrations, harbored the anger, uh, we wouldn't have had that, the, that kind of conversation, and then our relationship would have been damaged. Even though we didn't have a chance to talk it out, it still would have been damaged. Why? Because there's an unresolved hurt going on here. The same is true when it comes to our relationship with God. If we ignore how we're feeling towards God and stuff it, we never have the chance to grow through those negative feelings and find a deeper, more intimate relationship with God on the other side. This is why we need to look and see what Job does. Job gets to the point where he just can't fake it any longer. He's trying, and maybe you've been there. Maybe you've tried to fake it too. He's past being polite. He gets to the point where he's just going to be honest. And if you look at the way he speaks, and we can look through the, the scriptures, and it doesn't seem like he's too mad, but when you look closer, Job's about to rage. Here's what he says in Job 10. I loathe my very life, and he's not being cute here. Those are strong words. Therefore, I give free rein to my complaint and speak out in the bitterness of my soul. He's ticked, right? He's mad here. What's happened to Job? Do we remember? In a matter of two pages or two paragraphs, he lost everything. His wealth, his status, his kids, all 10 of them, gone. The very next chapter, his wife comes up to him and she doesn't leave him, but she tells him that he should just curse God and die, which isn't the vote of confidence that you want from your spouse in a situation like this. He's gone through it all, and then he has his friends come up to him, and his friends start pointing the finger at him and start to say, this is your fault, Job. This is all you're doing. It's because you didn't pray enough. It's because you didn't go to church enough. It's because you didn't volunteer enough. Uh, It's all of this. Your kids probably had it coming to you. What are you thinking, Job? This is all your fault. And so Job is just sinking down and down, and he's trying to suck it up, as we all say. And then he says here in verse 2, I say to God, do not declare me guilty, but tell me what charges you have against me. Does it please you to oppress me? to spurn the work of my hands while you smile on the plans of the wicked. Your hands have shaped me and made me. Will you now destroy me? Job is being real. 
These are the feelings he experienced. He's tired of playing the, uh, the shallow theology game, the, uh, uh, the health-wealth game that we all play in the back of our minds, the shallow holiness, the shallow version of church that you, you do things in order to get the Instagram likes or the Twitter reposts or the follower count to go up. He, he's tired of playing those games. This is the raw end of Job's emotions. He's being honest. Essentially, he's saying this, what have I done to deserve this? You made me out of dust, God, and now you're squashing me back into dust? Why are you even doing this? Does it make you happy? Now, you might not have said those exact words to God, or you may have, but have you ever thought them? I have. Have you thought them? It's okay to say yes. It's, I mean, if you don't want to, if it's embarrassing. Yeah, we've thought those things. You were afraid to say them out loud. Because for many of us, we don't have room in our faith for the painful, screaming, yelling, angry prayers. Job's friends couldn't take it. Take it. They, they, it became too uncomfortable for them. The anger and the frustration isn't something they would ever express to God. Suffering doesn't fit their theological construct. And so Zophar, who's a gem of a friend, says this, If you devote your heart to him and stretch out your hands to him, if you put away the sin that is in your hand and allow no evil to dwell in your tent, then, free of fault... You will lift up your face and stand firm without fear. That's not really comforting. It's Zophar saying, hey, Job, you're, you're taking a little too far, man. Job, if you just prayed harder, if you would just stop sinning, then you'd be better off. Don't you know that God never forsakes you? Don't you know that all things work together for good? Don't you know that there's a rainbow after every storm? Don't you know that, that, that in Romans 8, 28, it wasn't around them, but he might have quoted it to him there, that, that, that God is working in all things and he knows the plans that he has for you, declares the Lord, plans for a future and hope. He's saying all these, all these verses that are true, right? We would say what he's saying is right. But in the situation that he's saying them, they're wrong. He's not being honest. You're only going through this because you didn't believe enough. If you had more faith, then you would be healed. The other friends had the similar thoughts. Their theology is full of their platitudes and cliches. Their theology is described by what we can fit on our bumper stickers. Don't you love the bumper sticker theologies? These great little catchy sayings that hang on people's bumpers and you're like, oh, that's cool. The problem with bumper sticker theologies is they only stay on your bumper until you get rear-ended. And then when they get an accident, they're gone. And it's the problem with this shallow theology that we have built and we need to start addressing. It only works when things are going great. But when things go wrong, what happens to our theology? We're afraid to express to God. Psalm, uh, or yet Job's prayers are honest. We're going to get to a psalm pretty soon. Yet they're not unique to Job. These types of prayers are everywhere in Scripture. Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. And by night, I find no rest. This is David. This is like King David, the one we all go, yeah, he's perfect, right? He wasn't. He had these emotions. In 45 psalms that David has written, he wrote more, but in 45 of them, David says, where are you, God? Why have you forsaken me? Why do you forsake the righteous? In 45 psalms, David says, where, why, who, how, what in the world is going on? Did God strike David for saying those? No. 
David was being honest. Uh, The prayer of pain that was in his gut, those honest prayers, denoted the brokenness that David felt. Did David lose his faith because he expressed those feelings to God? Absolutely not. David was called a man after God's own heart because of those things. He was honest with God. Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, uh, one of the biggest prophets in the scripture, says this, "'You deceived me, Lord, and I was deceived.'" You overpowered me and prevailed. I am ridiculed all day long and everyone mocks me. In the Hebrew, if you really want to do some work, that is very powerful language. It's not as clean and sanitary as the translation comes across. It's very provocative language. He is being extremely descriptive in what he's saying. I don't want to really go into what he's saying, but he's letting God have it. You deceived me. You took me out in the desert and you you overpowered me and you ridiculed me. God, you did this. Yet Jeremiah was not struck down. In fact, his relationship grew stronger. Uh, Elijah in 1 Kings 19 gets to the top of Sinai after running away, gets to the top of Sinai and says, you know what, God? I'd rather be dead than serve you. Really? The suicidal prophet is some, how some people call him after that. He's being honest. Uh, Jonah in Jonah 4.9 says that he's so angry with God, he wishes that he was dead. In Mo- Moses in Numbers 11 says this, if this is how you are going to treat me, just go ahead and kill me. I found favor in your eyes. Do not let me be the face of my own ruin. Moses has had it, not just with God, but with these thousands of people that are following him in this section. And he's just given up going, I can't do this anymore. I got to be honest with you. This is how I'm feeling. And yet God meets him in that broken places, in that broken place, in the place of honesty, in the place of vulnerability. Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, says, is there a different course of action that we can take rather than the one that's coming at me with the cross shape that's come, that I'm moving to? Is there anything else? He says, can this cup pass from me? Then while on the cross, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's quoting Psalm 22. Where are you? I don't know if you know what, if you're on, if you're on the, if you die on the cross, you, you don't die from the nails, you, you die of suffocation. It, it comes from your, your hands are up like this and you're so beaten down that you can't breathe. And in order to get a breath, you have to push yourself up on the, the nail that's in your leg and you have to push yourself up on it, take a breath, and then collapse back down. This is why Jesus spoke very little time when he was on there. He only said five or six things. But he went through enough pain to speak up, to lift himself up and say, why have you forsaken me, God? And if Job's friends were there at that time, they would have said, oh, Jesus, don't, don't say that. Uh, you, you, can't, you, can't, you can't say those things. Is that theologically accurate, Jesus? Did, did God really forsake you? No, he is always with you, Jesus. Why are you saying that on the cross? I mean, you're not setting a good example because these Roman soldiers just told you that you've been forsaken and they're mocking you and now you're agreeing with them. So Jesus, please, please tone it down a little bit. Don't you know that all things work together for good? Can you imagine that? These are the situations where the only thing we can do is scream, and maybe you've been there before, and maybe you know someone that's there right now. It's the times when we say, I can't believe this happened. 
I, I never thought that this would happen to me. And then you fill the blank of what this might be. I can't believe this person left. I, I can't believe that I'm addicted. I, I can't believe that I found myself in this situation again. I just can't. We've been there. In these situations, you can't see, when you can't see the tip of your nose because it's so dark, the only thing that you can actually say is, why? Sometimes the only prayer that you can get out is that three-lettered question, why? And as we look through Job, I, I want you to realize that that's okay. It's a legitimate prayer. It's a necessary prayer. And actually, it's the first step towards healing. After 39 chapters of railing against God, finally God responds to Job. After 39 chapters of Job saying his frustrations, defending himself to his friends, finally God answers him, and then he begins to teach. But first, God spoke for maybe three or four chapters at the end, and the rest of them is Job screaming. After all of this, God, Jesus says, or God says to Job's friends, Eliphaz, Mr. Theological Accuracy Guy, Job 42, 7, God says this. After the Lord said these things to Job, he said to Eliphaz, the Temanite, I am angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. So these guys are saying things that are somewhat accurate, yet God's saying, you know, this context that you're dealing with here, you're wrong. You're telling Job he should not express his true feelings toward me. You're wrong for doing that. Everything that they said was accurate, and they thought everything that Job said was a bit inaccurate. But what Job says came from a heart of honesty, and the others came from a head that wouldn't participate in their friend's pain. As one of my favorite authors says, the criteria of a valid prayer is not what you say. The criteria of the valid prayer is what your heart is like in the middle of it. If you're honest, it's valid. Do you remember the story Jesus tells in Luke 18? There's a Pharisee, and he's, he's uh, saying, you know, he's giving his prayers at the front of the temple, and he says, dear Lord, he's going on and on with this flowery language, and he says, thank you that I'm not like this person tax collector. And what's the tax collector doing? Honesty saying, forgive me, I'm a sinner. The honest prayer. And Jesus ends the story and says, which one's prayer was heard? The one who was being honest. It's out of situations like Job, situations of pain, if, if you have gone through them, or if you're going through them now, or if you're looking ahead, you know that's going to be hard. These situations can be, when we keep an honest line of communication open to God, they can lead to a deeper relationship with God. These situations can be used by God for the better. We don't sit here and say to the person who's going through the hard times, you know, God's going to use this situation. He will. He will. We can know that. But we allow them to feel what's going on. We don't say to the person, we allow hindsight to, for them to get to the other side of it. And as we walk them to the other side of it, when they look back and go, look at all these things God did during this situation. 
then we allow them to be honest and we allow ourselves to be honest with them. The church fathers called this journey going through the extremities of life, the church fathers called them the dark night of the soul or the cloud of the unknowing or the desert of the heart. There was a, a, bunch, of, a bunch of them. St. John of the Cross coined a phrase for them. But when we go through these times in our life, our faith is tested and our faith is purified. When we are in this situation, our faith is weaned from this superficial uh, view of Christianity, this superficial relationship with God, and we come out on the other side because you always do come out on the other side. That's true. We still find the love and the happiness and the joyful celebration type of faith. We still laugh. We still hang out. We're still grateful. All of those things will come again on the other side but we won't be addicted to them. When we're honest with God, we can tell God what we're feeling. We can go through these times. We realize that we don't always have to be on. We don't always have to have the joyful smile on our face. Got no problems. Everything's good. God is good. We don't have to do that. We're not addicted to those platitudes anymore. Somehow, the flashy side of Christianity doesn't impress us that much anymore. You realize that the glitz doesn't really matter. Instead, you become wowed and amazed at the good that God can do. We learn in these situations that we can love God not because we are joyful, not because we are having the greatest life ever. My son says something whenever he gets something cool. Best day ever! That's what he says. We don't have to love God because we've had the best day ever. We can still love God and be honest with him when we say we've had the worst day ever. We're not addicted to the serotonin hit. We don't believe just to get the buzz to survive. Instead, we get to the place where Job got in Job 13. Though he slay me, I will still hope in him. Though I'm going through the ringer, I still have hope. He's God, whether I feel like it or not. That's true. No matter what I'm going through, he's still God. And I can still be honest with him. This morning, uh, it's a little different of a tone of message, and and I'm not sorry for that. It's just different. If you're going through a hard situation, and I believe there's some people who might be, that's okay. I want to encourage you to say what you need to say to God. Write it down in your journal. We're going to have a, a time of worship after this. Take communion. Say what you need to say to God. Be honest about what you're feeling with Him. It's okay. It's okay to tell God this sucks. Pound on his chest, so to speak, if you need to. Cry and scream if you have to. That's okay. Because no matter how hard you hit on his chest, out of your frustration, out of your anger, and out of your hurt, no matter how hard you hit, you can never make him go away. His arms are a lot stronger than yours, and he will not let you go because of it. It's in the midst of your darkness that you find out that he's there. You cannot sink so low that you will ever lose God. David writes about this too. Where can I go from your presence? If I make my bed in hell or some kind of nightmare comes my way, you're still there. I can't get away from you. And sometimes it feels like we're sleeping in hell, doesn't it? It's okay to be honest about it. 
he's still there. Maybe you can't feel him. Maybe you can't sense him. Maybe you can't see him. It's still true. It's not just a cliche. Maybe it's saying, I can't see you right now. And that's okay. And know that sometimes when other Christians can't comfort, when the church messes up the help, when it becomes theologically weird, Jesus is okay with your weird theology. It's fine. I'm fine with it. You're not going to be in trouble because you say something theologically wrong in the middle of your pain. It's not based in your sight or your perception. It's a matter of truth. And in a matter of time, this season will stop. And if you're honest with God, you'll find yourself on a different level of relationship with him. And for those of us who aren't going through crisis, we need to remember this. This community has to be a place where it's okay for you to shout and cheer, and it's okay for them to sit and cry. That's fine. And it's okay for the rest of us to sit here and not feel nothing. All of it's okay. Some person's not weird because they're in a different way. We need to be honest with God, honest with your feelings, honest with what you're going through. Job was honest. He was honest, he was vulnerable, and yet he was humble. And God says, he was right. And so today, as we pause, as we worship, take some time. There's a lot of things going on in this world. There's a lot of things going on in our personal lives. Tell God how you're feeling. How are you feeling? I don't talk about emotions. I think I have one emotion. And right now it's anxiety over a football game, but one at a time. Have you connected your heart with what you're experiencing with God right now? And it's okay to take this time to say, God, I'm feeling this. And allow God's presence to sweep you up in those arms of his. And him to say, it's all right. It's okay. You know, my, my sons have this thing when they've had a bad day or maybe they've uh, done some things wrong. They, they always, at the end of the day, when they're in trouble, always come back and say, I, you don't love me anymore. And that cannot be true. And so we hold them and, and carry or I will embrace them and, 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 and let them cry it out. Does that make me not love them anymore? No. They don't know how much I love them. That's the problem. So sometimes it might say to you, God, it feels like you don't love me. It feels like you're absent. And he just scoops you up in those arms and he goes, it's okay. It's okay what you're feeling. Your feelings aren't always right, but you're feeling them and and that's all right. Express those to him and allow him to comfort you and get you through to the other side. Would you pray with me? God, we stuff a lot when it comes to you. We have this fear-based relationship with you that we can't say certain things at the dinner table because you'll be mad. We don't want to start an argument because we don't want to offend. And we shy away from this relationship with you and it just becomes cliche, becomes shallow. God, give us the space today to let you know what we are experiencing. And Lord, if we're experiencing hurt today, comfort us. Walk with us. If we're experiencing your distance, 
Allow your community of faith to come around this person and show them the closeness that you bring. Lord, if we're experiencing loss, help us to be honest with that. Lord, if we might blame you for some of that loss, it's okay. You can take it. Jesus, you prayed those same prayers. Sometimes we feel forsaken, and that's fine. So God, give us the courage this morning to say what's on our hearts, to say what's on our minds. Would you meet us in that pain? May what was said of Job be said about us, that we are honest and we were right in what we said. Build our faith throughout all of these times. In Jesus' name we pray.